0: So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode thirteen forty seven. Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It's Farnoosh. And you're listening to Ask Farnoosh, where I tackle your biggest money questions that have come through all the different channels, Instagram, email, text, questions today about how to prioritize savings, how to negotiate for a salary when the company will not reveal their budget or their salary band. Should we wait out this whole inflationary period to buy big ticket items? If a listener of the show is curious, he's interested in buying a new SUV. And how can a resident physician who's in her 20s, who's making not that much money right now, make ends meet living in a high cost of living city? Can she invest and save and pay for dinner? I've got some advice. This week, our Free 15-minute money session goes to M.B. Andrews, 17, who left a review on Friday recently, calling the show an absolute must. Farnoosh Tarabi brings energy, empathy, and intelligent responses to listeners' questions. She's also a brilliant interviewer and a thoughtful person to discuss a variety of topics with. I can listen to this podcast without ever feeling disappointed. Because of her delivery, I learned from every episode, even if they don't necessarily relate to my own situation. As a single mom determined to get more knowledge about my personal Finances, Farnoosh is the first person I turn to. Looking forward to my long trip to work, knowing I have an episode of So Money to listen to. Well, I hope you're listening now, MB Andrews, seventeen. Uh, thank you so much for this. Really, really loving thoughtful kind dear review this is like the highlight of my week <laughs> when I get to read these off. I want to give back right so I want to make sure that you and I are able to connect um, MB Andrews 17 you can email me farnush at somoneypodcast.com Instagram direct message at Farnish Tarabi those are probably the two quickest ways to reach me Let me know you left the review I'll send you a calendar link where you can select a time for us to chat about whatever's on your money mind. Someone recently messaged me saying that they uh, learned how to speak English quickly by listening to my podcast. I didn't know that that was something that I could help somebody with, but I guess podcasts are pretty cool for that reason. You know, come to think of it, when I was living in Paris... For, for a few months there in college. Listening to the news was a great way to learn the language because the broadcasters took more time to speak and they weren't using slang necessarily. It was really smart to have that on in the background and just have that be your way of uh, tapping into the language in a way that also was easier to understand. Anyway, this podcast is many things to many different people and I'm here for you. Okay, let's go to the mailbag. What should we start with? Maybe start with the person who's worried about inflation because that's obviously the big news, the big economic news. We are all feeling this at the grocery store, at the the restaurants. Outside is expensive. And if you're trying to get a car, we know car prices are continuing to hit record highs and auto experts think that that could pretty much be the reality for the rest of this year. It's it's because of many things, because of supply chain disruptions, people were sick because of COVID, couldn't work at the assembly lines, parts weren't getting made. It took me like six months to get a car where it normally would have taken two weeks, four weeks. Another friend has to wait a year. The used car market was out of control. It was actually one of the first times in history, probably, that if you had a used car, you could sell it for as much, if not more than what you bought it for. Crazy times. And it hasn't really gotten that much better because supply is still short, right, for some of these things that we all need. And whether that's food, cars, supplies for building homes. So our friend here is wondering, he texted me actually, smart guy. Uh, He's wondering how to make big ticket purchasing decisions in the face of inflation. This is Martin. He says, I've been saving for my first brand new SUV. It's extremely expensive now. I got a quote for impact resistance hurricane windows too, also expensive. This year I'm saying hell no to major purchases purchases, maybe next year. He lives in Miami, by the way, which is why he may need those impact resistant hurricane windows. Look, what we did a whole series of articles and videos and podcasts on the cost of climate change last fall and probably again this year. It's a serious threat, especially for those of us living along the coastlines, Miami in particular. So Martin, my advice to you, my friend, if you need a car, you need a car. I don't really see a way around it. Perhaps it's not the SUV of your dreams. If you're trying to stay within budget, you might want to think about leasing to help you stay a little bit more liquid and ride out the inflation. So I'm leasing my car. And this may sound crazy coming from a personal finance author, because we know we've read all the books saying don't ever lease a car, but I leased a car because it was so expensive to purchase a car. And in the midst of COVID and and the volatile economy at the time, I wanted to stay as liquid as possible. My cash reserves were important to me. So if you're looking to save, at least in the sense that you don't want to commit Put all this money down into a car that's probably overpriced. Think about leasing something that is within your monthly cash flow budget. If you love the car after three years, then you can buy it. And at that point, you've already paid into it significantly. So it could be much more affordable for you at that point. I don't think waiting is the name of the game. I don't think inflation is going to just. Wrap itself up uh, by the end of this year. And if you need to make a big ticket purchase and it's a real necessity for you, try to find a way to afford this within budget. It may mean abandoning your initial plans to get a certain brand or a certain kind, a certain model, but you can still get the thing. So if you're looking for permission to get that car this year, I'm going to give it to you, but I'm going to say, Do it within your budget, within your means. Maybe it means leasing. Maybe it means getting a car that's not the most fabulous, but it's going to get you from point A to point B. All right. Next up is our friend who's in the audience, a 25-year-old woman who is anonymous, working in marketing in ad agencies, and she's having a little bit of difficulty with her negotiations. She says, "I've been interviewing with recruiters who've been reaching out to me about new roles in my field. I've had some recruiters ask me for my salary requirements, and when I ask if they have a salary band, they tell me that the employer does not have a salary band. One said the employer will pay market rate and that I should just tell them, the recruiter, the number that I want and she'll submit that for me. Another set to tell her the number for her to submit and then they'll decide whether they want to have me in for an interview. This feels really icky and it feels like recruiters are trying to get around this push for job seekers to ask the salary band up front rather than having to disclose their current pay information and then lowballing themselves. As a young woman, I have no desire to accept less than what I could make. I have so many thoughts on this. Put on your seatbelts. Okay, so this is frustrating and the truth of the matter is it's very tough to negotiate When you have a recruiter in the middle, nothing against recruiters. They have important jobs and many of them are excellent. But you have to also realize that in theory, they're kind of compromised. They work for the employer. They're trying to please the employer. Yes, they work on commission. So uh, in theory, the more money you make, the more money they make. But they're trying to also protect their jobs. They want to get people hired that would get paid probably less than what the company has budgeted for. And then that recruiter becomes kind of a star recruiter. They want to make money, but they also want to keep their jobs. They want to be favored. So they're kind of in a tough spot. So I'm going to give you some quick advice. It's not bulletproof advice, but these are just some of my thoughts. And then I want to talk about something that went viral on Twitter. A recruiter posted something that she shouldn't have, and it caused her her job. But For you, my friend, like anything in life, you have to be your biggest advocate. If you're running up against recruiters who are not being forthright, who are not being forthcoming, realizing that they also may be in a weird spot, the employers are the ones who are calling the shots through these recruiters. So the recruiters sometimes do have their hands tied behind their backs. Nevertheless, you can still work that LinkedIn network of yours. Try to find somebody at that company who might be able to have an offline conversation with you about compensation. But even then, even if you do discover what the income potential for you at that company is, I would not disclose it off the bat. I would keep pushing off that conversation. Make it difficult for the company to lowball you Get them to show their cards. Employers out there, if you're an employer, please disclose. I love when I see job postings and they tell you right away, this job pays $125,000. Why are we playing this power game? I understand that negotiation is important And there should still be room for negotiation. You know, if if a company says this job is $125,000 and you apply and through the conversations, you realize, hey, I could actually give more value to this company, or I may be a little overqualified for this job. That doesn't mean that you can't negotiate still, but at least the company is saying this is where we're going to start the conversation. Where are we going to start the conversation? Hold your ground. I know when you're young, you can feel like it's hard to have that kind of clout. It's hard to feel that you can speak to power, but this is a great time to practice all of this. It is a job seekers market and recruiters, if you're listening, I know sometimes you do have your hands tied behind your back, but you are also in a position of power and you also have the ability to communicate this to the employers and say, look, this is what the market is wanting. We can't keep going to the market and playing hide and seek. We need to be forthright about what we are willing to pay because it's going to save us time. We're going to get the best talent. And if we've got the money, then we should pay it. Moving on to this social media post that went viral, I think it first appeared on the woman's Facebook page and then someone took a screen grab and put it everywhere. I mean, it went all over the place. And I think I was just privy to it because I follow a lot of career experts and money experts. The influencer community went berserk on this, rightfully so. So there was a woman, I won't say her name because I think she's got enough flack, but there's a woman who is a recruiter and she was fired after this whole debacle. In her message, she said she offered a candidate $85,000 for a job that had a budget of $130,000. She says, I offered that to her because that's what she asked for. She asked for 85K. And I personally don't have the bandwidth to give lessons on salary negotiations. And she wrote, here's a lesson, everybody. Always ask for the salary you want and deserve, no matter how large you think it might be. You never know how much money a company has to work with. That's a loaded tweet. And I think it's wrong on many levels. First, you don't need bandwidth to do what's right in this situation, which is to be transparent about what a position pays. This recruiter with cooperation from the employer could have just said, you know what, this job pays $135,000. I understand companies want to save money. I know, running a business, you got to you got to be smart about your spending. But a $50,000 difference for this company which was we learned was a conglomerate is a drop in the bucket, but for this employee, this prospective employee, it's a life-changing situation. I know the difference between 85,000 and 130,000. For a family, that's childcare and then some. might mean living in a better place, a better neighborhood, a better apartment. It may mean finally getting rid of your student loan debt. It may mean being able to support an aging parent. It may mean finally being able to invest for your retirement. Wake up, corporate America. Stop being so shady. That's number one, okay? She's playing into this system, this recruiter. Second, she says, here's the lesson. Always ask for the salary you want slash deserve. No matter how large you think it might be, you never know how much money a company has to work with. This is bad advice. No, you should not be paid what you think you deserve. It's not a reward you're getting. It's a salary that's supposed to match the value of what you're bringing to the job. And there is a way to research that and to prove that. It's not just like, oh, I dreamt up this number. I think I'm worth this. We're all worth millions of dollars in my book. We should all be millionaires. We should all deserve to have all the money we want. That's not how you have a conversation about salary. So she is right in the sense that companies we know have more money than they are willing to disclose to pay us. But to go in... And say, I want, you know, if this person had gone into this recruiter's office and said, I want $300,000, let me tell you what, she would have tweeted something else, something to the effect of this woman walked into my office, we had $130,000 reserved for this job. She had the audacity to ask for $300,000. You know what I mean? So don't pander to us, get specific, tell us the numbers, stop this back and forth. And finally, don't brag about the fact that you're holding the power on purpose. That's not a good look. Anyway, this woman was let go from her job. She says she did not feel empowered to share the salary information with the candidate. She was interviewed later. She says, quote, many recruiters have been conditioned to believe that it is a good thing if the candidate's salary expectation is lower than the salary range for the role because in their mind, they are saving the company money, which can often be celebrated, she said. The second challenge, this is her quote, is that many recruiters aren't connecting this practice of lowballing candidates to save the company money to a greater systemic issue regarding inequity in the hiring process. But I'm sorry to disassociate yourself from this systemic problem. I'm t- now I'm this as far as talking to this recruiter of companies lowballing their candidates. As a recruiter, you play a big role in this. If all the recruiters got together and were like, we refuse to play into this systemic cruelty, I think there might be some change. And by the way, going back to our friend who wrote about this initially, who inspired this entire Farnoosh rant, I can tell this person is talented. She's ambitious. She's going to get things done. She's on her way up. Any company who loses her over these stupid games, these stupid salary games, it's their loss. She's going to find a great job that's going to pay her because she knows her value and she's going to ask for it. And the right company is going to pay her for that. These other companies? I'm sorry, you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of turnover. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Question number three is from Kyra, a text. She says, Hey Farnoosh, big fan of the show, always learning new things. I'm a mid-20-year-old resident physician who is very fortunate not to have any debt. I make enough after taxes to just barely cover my rent, my groceries, my living expenses every month. I'm saving five percent in a four oh three B, and I have so far maxed out my Roth IRA. I add two hundred dollars per month to my my brokerage account. What do you think about ramping up my 403b contributions to max it out this year and then paying myself from my cash savings in my brokerage account for the cost of living? I hesitate because I live in a city with a high cost of living. I have a hard time thinking about pulling from my cash savings, which is in my brokerage account, which is by the way in the multiple six figures. I understand the rationale though, given that I'm playing the long game. Just not sure if it's the best thing to do knowing that I have life to live right now and I'll probably become even more frugal if I'm pulling cash from savings, but maybe you'd be worth it. Would love your thoughts. All right. So Kyra, let me understand. You're making money, right? You're not making no money. You're making some money as a resident physician. You're working long hours. You're making... Just enough, barely enough, as you say, to pay for your needs. You're also saving in a retirement account, of 403B. You're not maxing it out yet, but you're also, separate from that, maxing out a Roth IRA, and you're adding 200 bucks to a brokerage account every month. So here's what I would do. I take that extra $200 that you're doing every month to the brokerage account, and I put it into the 403B, where you're going to get the tax break. When it comes to retirement, the hierarchy is like this. Optimize by first putting your money towards the most tax-efficient plans, the most tax beneficial savings plans. The 403B is going to give you a tax deduct. It's going to help you save on taxes today. You're already maxing out the Roth IRA. Fantastic. The brokerage account is third on the list as far as the sort of investment accounts that are the tax friendliest. I invest in a brokerage account after I've maxed out my workplace 401k, my SEP IRA, all of that. And then I put money into the brokerage account. So think about that. I would take first step that $200 extra a month to your brokerage account that's already pretty big. 300, you have several hundred thousand dollars in there. Add it to the 403B so that you feel a bit better about taking advantage of that workplace retirement account and the tax benefits. It sounds like you're investing at least 10% of your income or close to it, which is great at your age given everything you have going on. So I don't think you need to be investing more right now. I would just shift that $200 over to the 403B. I think you're doing great. I would then look at your budget and tack on maybe, maybe an extra $500 a month from your brokerage savings to add to your cash flow to just give you a little bit more breathing room. Is $500 a month helpful? Can it make improvements in the quality of your life? Perhaps. You know, there was this study recently out of the state of California where they gave some residents there an extra $500 a month to put it in those residents' words. It was life-changing. California is a pretty high-cost living state. So thinking maybe depending on where you are, this could also be highly beneficial to you. The road to becoming a doctor is difficult financially. It can be. You do have the benefit of no debt. My goodness, so fortunate. You have already tons in your brokerage account. You've got access to a 403B. You're maxing out your Roth IRA. You're killing it, woman. So if you have to, after you look at your budget, after you look at how maybe some expenses you can cut, if you still need more breathing room, then I think taking $500 a month, just park it, in like an emergency account where you can tap that in the event that you have an unexpected expense or sometimes some months you're spending more than other months and you need that to tide you over. You're in the home stretch. You're gonna be making more money soon. And uh, by the way, go listen to Dr. Bonnie's episode from Monday. She knows all about your track. She's been there. She's done that. She's got really great advice. All right, last but not least, a question here from Estevali's. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Estee. She says, hey, Furnish, I love your show. You're making real generational change. Here's the question. How do we set up a healthy savings goal? Between me and my husband, we make $185,000 a year. We have regular expenses, and we both save 10% in our 401ks, which get a 6% match. We have two kids, nine years old and two years old. We want to open up college savings accounts for them, but we also want to invest. We want to have an emergency fund. And all these things, how do we allocate the savings? So here again is a question about how to prioritize your savings and your investments. We all have multiple financial goals. They can feel like they're very competitive. Firstly, SD, I'm gonna call you SD for short, if that's okay. First order of business when it comes to allocating your money for savings is for emergencies. Bare bones, take your bare bones expenses every month, multiply that by six, park that in an online account somewhere that's potentially high yield. I don't really mind what the interest rate is on emergency savings because this is not designed to be a forever account or a long-term account. This is an account that you might tap into every once in a while that you want to have mostly be liquid and insured. So a good bank, FDIC insurance, where you can access this money, meaning you can wire the money really fast, hit up an ATM if you need it, but it's your emergency account Priority number one. Number two, saving for retirement, which you already are and you're doing a great job of that. So, wouldn't change anything there. Third, with whatever savings is left, open up a 529. You can start slowly. You can ramp up after you have your rainy day accounts fully funded. A great book for this that I recommend. I had her on the show, this woman, Patricia Roberts. She's the author of Route 529, All Things 529 Plans, which is the popular college savings vehicle. The website, savingforcollege.com, is also great. As I wrote in my love letter, my financial love letter to Generation X recently for CNET Money, when we are parents and we have all these competing savings goals, It can feel like a lot and we want to take care of ourselves. We also want to take care of our kids. And of course, saving for college is a lovely way to secure your children's financial future, but you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. It's okay if you don't fully fund your child's, your children's college education. There are many ways that they can find ways to afford college on their own. Help from parents is always welcome, but you have to be sure that you are covering your bases first. So prioritizing your own retirement and your own savings over college savings, I think Is vital. You don't want a situation where you have not done steps one or two and you've just gone straight to the 529. You've paid for all of your kids' college, you feel really good, and then years later, you're heading for retirement, scared, worried that you're gonna probably have to work an extra 10 years because. You didn't cover your own bases. Thanks so much for your question. Thank you to everybody for writing in. Always the best questions from the audience, from the So Money community. I so appreciate you. I hope everybody has a great Super Bowl weekend. I'm going to see my brother for the first time since Thanksgiving because that's how life has been. Life has interrupted so much of our ability to connect with family. For those of you who are in that camp, I, I empathize, I sympathize, but but Super Bowl weekend slash Valentine's weekend slash my birthday is next week. It's a big week in our family. As always, thank you for joining me. Keep those questions coming. You can text me 415-942-5002. You can follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. And if you want to connect with me for a one-on-one, leave me a review on iTunes and I might pick you in an upcoming Friday episode. I hope your weekend is so money.